Amen. Man, what an amazing time of musical worship, huh, family? Wow, man. Praise God. My name is Garrett, and I'll be reading the Scripture this morning. We'll be in Psalm 23 in your pew Bible. That's page 458. So I'm going to give everyone a minute to turn to Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for You are with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of God. Good morning, church. Before we get started, let me just acknowledge these beautiful flowers here are placed by Mike Loker in honor of his wife, Jennifer, for her 30th birthday. Congratulations on your 30th birthday, Jennifer. Today we wrap up our series in Psalms. Next week we launch into a new series called Essential, where we're going to be looking at the mission of the church and your role in that mission as we gear up for Grace Gives, as we gear up to, to launch into our community with, uh, with all hands on deck, everyone going out, saturating this community. What does that look like? Why do we do what we do? And your essential role in it. We've been looking for the last few, five weeks at Psalms of Encouragement and Hope. We've seen several metaphors that the psalmist has used to describe God. God is our king. God is our deliverer. God is our rock. God is our refuge. And now in Psalm 23, David invites us to consider perhaps the most comprehensive and intimate metaphor in the Psalms. The Lord as our shepherd. Following and trusting the good shepherd. Psalm 23 is the best known and most beloved of the Psalms, isn't it? And for good reason. This psalm has provided comfort and strength for Christians walking through all kinds of seasons of life. It is so cherished, we ask children to memorize this psalm. And we, we read it to those on their sickbed and we preach it at funerals. You don't even have to be a Christian to know the, the content of this psalm. The challenge is that Psalm 23 could be so familiar to us that we fail to actually see it and understand it anew. It could become so cliche that it loses its power to help us navigate the complexities of living the Christian life in a broken world. I invite you to look at Psalm 23 with fresh eyes today. Let me start by asking you a question. Can you remember a time in your life when you felt safe and secure? There's a lot of things happening around us today that 
maybe remind us of our lack of safety and security, but can you remember, was there ever a moment, a season, where you felt you were secure, you were safe? I remember growing up, I always felt safest when I was with my dad. My dad was far from perfect, but as a kid, I felt like he was the greatest. He was my hero. He was strong. He could fix things. He was caring, and he, would, and he would comfort me when I was hurting. He was wise, and I would go to him for counsel, and, and he would have wise counsel, and he played with me, and he affirmed me, and, and most importantly, he, he's the one who introduced me to the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and he taught me God's Word, and he faithfully took our family to church each week, and he modeled the Christian life for me. For all these reasons and so many more, I just felt safe around my dad. If, I, if my dad was around, I didn't need to be afraid. Now, it's not that there weren't dangers around me. I knew that there were things to be afraid of. It's that I was convinced, because I was so young, that my dad was bigger than those dangers. Maybe you had a different experience than mine, but have you ever experienced a moment, a season, a time when you felt like, you know what, everyone's in bed, everyone's safe in our home, I'm laying down, nobody's crying, there's not, nobody's hurting, it's just, I can go to sleep, ah, safe, secure. Maybe tomorrow on the holiday, you're going you're gonna to be spending time with family and friends, and you're going to take a moment and reflect and say, wow, thank, thank God for those who gave their lives so we can enjoy these freedoms. In Psalm 23, David invites us to experience the ultimate security of following and trusting the Good Shepherd. And I want to show you three lessons that help us understand why the Lord is, such, is worthy of such trust. Look at Psalm 23. Lesson number one, the Lord faithfully provides everything we need. Psalm 23 is a, is a psalm of trust and confidence. You'll notice there is no request made for God to do anything, right? He's not pleading. He's not asking. He is simply affirming this is who God is and this is what he is already doing. Look at verse 1. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. This is really a summary statement of what it looks like to live under the care of the good shepherd. In fact, you could summarize verses 1 to 4 this way. The good shepherd provides everything I need in life. Notice how personal this is. He says the Lord is what? My shepherd. God cares about you individually. He loves you personally. That's what good shepherds do. A good shepherd knew their sheep personally and intimately. A good shepherd in that day knew the sheep by how they, how they walked, how they smelled, uh, the, the kinds of things that they did. They had unique personalities. He knew them individually. He, he had them named. And you're like, well, they all look like sheep to me. They're all just white and they're dirty. Well, well not to him. That's Peter and that's Brady and that's that little one over there, that's scrawny. That's Mark. He knew that. The good shepherd watches over his sheep fold as a whole, but he takes care of them individually. 
That's why Jesus told the parable of the shepherd who had a hundred sheep and only 99 were safe in the sheepfold, but one was missing and that was unacceptable to the shepherd. And he goes and he has to find that one and bring him back. The Lord is my shepherd, David says. But he's, and then he continues, therefore, I shall not want. That doesn't mean you won't have any more desires. The word for he, the Hebrew word for want here literally means to lack. In other words, a clear a clear rendering would be: The Lord is my shepherd; I do not lack anything. But what does that mean? Does he mean that the Lord will give us everything that I want, whatever I want? If I were to take my kids to a candy store and say, "Get whatever you want," you, I am your father, and you shall not lack. You shall not want. And they, if they were to go and they were to get as much candy as they want and eat as much candy as they want, am I really shepherding them, parenting them well? No. They would say so. No, in fact, if they eat all the candy that they want, that's not what they need because if they gorge on that candy, you know what's going to happen. I know what's going to happen. They're going to get sick. Some of us are thinking, if I can just get that job, if I can just get married, if I can just have children, if I could just get my health back, if my kids would just turn back to the Lord, then I would not lack anything. Then I would be content. But no, that's not where your security lies. David is not saying the good shepherd gives us everything we want. He's saying God's people never lack anything that the shepherd knows we need for the journey of life. Can you say that? Do you trust the Lord to provide all of your needs physically, physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally? What about us as a church? Can we say collectively the Lord will provide all that we need as a church to fulfill his mission for us? He may not give you everything that you want, but he will give you exactly what you need. But what does that look like specifically? Look at verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Verse 3, he restores my soul. Notice the language. He makes me. He leads me. He guides me. Sheep are not able to, to hunt for food and search out for food themselves. Did you know that? They're not able to do that. Left to themselves, sheep are prone to wander off into wrong places looking for food and wander. That's just what they do. Sheep are not the brightest animals out there. No offense. But the Lord is faithfully leading as their shepherd, as our shepherd. He's faithfully leading. A shepherd faithfully leads his sheep to find nourishing food and, and fresh water, not water that's, that's falling because they could get wet and actually they fall into water often because their coats get wet. But it's still water, waters of rest. Your life may not be going as you envisioned it to go. But let me ask you, has God not provided for your needs every step of the way. He may not choose to provide in ways 
And he may choose to provide in other ways that you never expected. Maybe he used the body of Christ to reveal his faithful provision in your life. However he chooses to do it, you can trust the good shepherd to provide for your life. In fact, the longer you walk with the Lord, I believe the the more you will be able to look back and see how the Lord does restore your soul. It's easier to see in some seasons where when, 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 when things aren't chaotic, you're able to kind of look back and you go, oh, wow, now I'm able to connect dots. It's like those things that my kids do where they connect the dots and the numbers. In the beginning, it looks like a jumble of dots, but eventually when they're connecting the dots in the right order, they're, they're able to see, oh, this is a picture. There's something here. The Lord's able to do that. When we look back, we see him weaving everything for our good. Verse 3b, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The good shepherd is leading us in paths of righteousness, or, or more accurately, it means he leads us in right paths. It takes a wise shepherd to lead sheep. Because sheep are notorious creatures of habit. They will follow the same trails until they become ruts. They will graze on the same pastures until they become wastelands. And so a wise shepherd will always keep the flock moving in the direction they need to go in order to keep them nourished and protected and healthy. Likewise, God our shepherd knows that left to our own devices, we're doomed. You put a sheep by himself and say, do it, you can do it, be, you can be your best life right now, go do it, sheep. Oh man, that's a goner. You just gave him a death sentence. You put a human being by himself or herself and say, you be you, you do the best, you be whoever you think you need to be inside. That is a death sentence for any human being. Sometimes it looks like we took the right turn when it's the wrong turn, isn't it? Or other times it looks like we took the wrong turn and and the Lord is actually leading us in the right way. He leads us in right paths. Not crooked ones. In other words, whatever twists or turns your life has taken, as a Christian, there are no accidents. There are no wrong turns. God has been ordering your steps. He knows where he's leading you, even when you don't know where he's leading you. He's leading us down paths that bring us to his desired destination, which is safely home with him. He has a vested interest in taking us the way he's taking us. Because he does it, what? For his name's sake. In other words, the Lord puts his own reputation on the line. A shepherd would actually lose, a shepherd that loses his sheep in the ancient Near East and and, and who can't find their way back, they would gain a bad reputation. And no one would want to use that shepherd anymore. Because he can't be trusted. Well, the Lord says, I am putting my own reputation on the line. I am, I am going to put my own ability to guide you on the line. And that mean, that, 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 I'm doing that to show you I can do it. I can lead you all the way home through all the paths. Even if you think they're wrong paths, you can know they are right paths. They are not crooked. I will lead you. But here's the difficulty that, that most of us have with this with these paths of righteousness. 
Because as the shepherd leads us, as we follow him, the Lord's leading will always take us through the valley of the shadow of death. Verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Not only does the Lord faithfully provide everything we need, we see here in verse 4, the Lord lovingly protects us through all dangers. You see, the connection between verses 3 and 4 is that the paths of righteousness includes the valley of the shadow of death. That can only mean one thing. That in order to get where God wants us to go, the journey will require us to go through dark valleys. And if that is true, then we must conclude that the time spent in the dark valley is divinely ordained by the Good Shepherd. And listen, the God of the Bible is not a God who sends us into the dark valleys. He's a God who does what? He walks with us through the dark valleys. That's why, notice in verses 1 to 3, there was a confidence in, in, in David's heart. I know my shepherd's leading me. Green pastures, still waters. There's confidence. He provides everything I need. But notice the confidence doesn't wane now that he's in the valley. He's got the same confidence. In fact, it grows. Did you notice that? Verses 1 through 3, third person. He, he leads me. He guides me. He makes me lie down. Now, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. It changes the second person. It becomes more intimate. This is the lowest point in David in the psalm, and yet this is when David turns from talking about God to talking to God. He's not saying, I won't be afraid in the dark because I know better days are coming. No. He's not giving himself a pep talk. He says, I won't be afraid because I know you are with me. Your presence overcomes my fears and makes me feel secure. My youngest son loves to, to hang by my side wherever we go. So if you're talking to me at church, you won't be surprised to see him running up and just kind of hanging near me. And I, I'm, I love it. I love that he, he wants to be near me. But whenever I've noticed, whenever we're in a new place or a, a new circumstance or something that, that we're around a lot of people, he, he does something because he gets a little shy, a little nervous. There's this pattern in those circumstances. He doesn't run away. He doesn't get upset. He just does this thing where he's near me. All of a sudden, he raises up his hand and he grabs a hold of my hand. And all of a sudden, he feels a greater sense of security. He's safe. That's what David is doing here. He knows that life is full of dark and dangerous valleys. They're unavoidable because we live in a, in a sinful and broken world. But it's in those times that he's in those dark valleys that he turns to the Lord. He sees we're going through a, a very difficult uh, a part of this journey. And so what does he do? He just raises his hand and he grabs the Lord's hand just to remind himself, you are with me. I know you're right there. You've not gone anywhere. You're going to protect me along the way. David is teaching us that the trials of life have this unique ability to draw us closer to God, to rely on Him and depend on Him even more. Have you ever walked through a dark valley? Ever been through a situation or trial that's so dark you can't see your way through? 
Look, a friend's betrayal can be a dark valley. A a mental illness can be a dark valley. A broken marriage can be a, a dark valley. A sick body can be a dark valley. A shattered dream can be a dark valley. The loss of your, your reputation at work or in your family can be a dark valley. The death of a loved one can be a dark valley. Being a child of God does not prevent you from having to go through dark valleys. But the dark valleys have an important role in our lives as much as we hate them. The dark valleys reveal that we cannot do life on our own. We need a God who is fully in control and fully in love with us so that we can know he can lead us fully home. Can I just share something that I have learned in my losses in life? And I hate that this is true, but it is. There are lessons learned in the death valley that cannot be learned anywhere else. I shared earlier that I was, I looked up to my dad. He was my hero. I felt secure being around him. Well, my, my dad had, had an illness. He had diabetes that, that was really bad, and, and it wasn't managed as well back then and at that time, and he did the best that he could, but, and, he, and he was working, but eventually he, he got so sick, he had to go on dialysis where he couldn't work anymore physically, and he had to literally go into a hospital and have his blood, blood cleared out to make sure he could stay alive. And he did that three times a week for 10 hours a day. But he was home, and I got to spend a lot of time with him. My dad got, it just got harder and harder, and he was on this kidney transplant list, and this was in the early days of transplants, and and he had been on this list for many years, I think maybe 10, 15, 20 years, and we didn't think much of it, and every night we'd pray, Lord, provide dad with a kidney, and he never did, and I thought, well, forget it, it's never going to answer. My dad taught me a lot about prayer just by consistently, faithfully committing himself to the Lord, and then one day out of nowhere, we get the call, there's a a, a kidney, potential kidney match, and, and my dad rushed to the hospital, and they do the kidney transplant and it looked like everything was going well and the days afterwards his body started rejecting the kidney out of nowhere and then things happened medically that the doctors were were not clear what happened and he ended up in a coma for many weeks and then four days after my birthday as a kid my dad passed away suddenly and unexpectedly that was my death valley that was that was the thing that, that my life seemed to be going. I, I, I was a Christian as, as a, ch- a child. He led me to the Lord. I, I was following Jesus. I loved his word. And then, my, and then the Lord just did this to my life. What I found through those years of sorrow and struggle and pain was that I needed a shepherd who could lead me. I loved my dad, he was amazing, but I was learning in the process that there is a greater father, a more faithful shepherd who can lead me even through the darkest of valleys. I knew him as my savior, but I never really trusted him to be my heavenly father. And when I reached out my hand, I realized and I found that he'd been there all along. And he was not only holding my hand, sometimes he was, he was picking me up and carrying me. And I found that he was the only one strong enough and loving enough, loving enough to lead me through. This is the testimony of every believer that no matter what valley you may find yourself in, you are not walking alone.
The Lord is with you. David says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod was used to defend against predators who would attack the sheep. The staff would used to keep the sheep from veering off course, keep them lovingly on the path. In other words, we can know that in the dark valleys, our shepherd has everything we need to make it through. Remember, the Lord will lovingly protect you, not from all dangers, but what? Through all dangers. When, if you're in a dark valley, can you just remember, can you just listen to this? The dark valley is not your destination. I know it feels like it. I know it feels like the darkness will never lift, but I'm here to tell you that in, in the confidence in God's word and because of his finished work through Jesus Christ, the dark valley is not, cannot, and will never be your final destination. That's what David is saying here. But then he goes on in lesson three. He shows us in verses five and six that the Lord generously and graciously delights in us. Verse, Psalm 23 is, is famous because of this image of God as our shepherd. And rightfully so. It's a beautiful picture of him leading us. But here in verses 5 and 6, he's actually dis- he switches metaphors to describe not a, a shepherd, but a gracious host. Look at verse 5 and 6. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Notice God prepares a table. That's a human table. Sheep don't eat at tables. Just FYI. Also, there's a reference to cup. That's a human cup. Sheep don't drink from cups. There's a clear shift in the metaphor. I know for some of you, this is like, what are you doing to my favorite psalm? But this is, you read any commentary, read your study Bible, and they'll tell you this is a shepherd and a host metaphor together, and it's a beautiful metaphor. We're not just sheep in God's flock. We are invited guests in God's house. These verses show us God's generous and gracious hospitality. According to the custom in ancient Near East, if you were someone's honored guest, you were always safe in their presence because that host was committed to protecting his guests at all times in all circumstances. Today, we show hospitality by inviting someone in. We say, oh, can I take your coat or can I offer you something to drink? Back then, they would offer hospitality by offering to wash your feet and make sure your feet are, are clean from the dirt and the dust from, from walking on the, on the dirt paths. And if those really wanted to honor his guest, he would have your head anointed with oil. And it would express just how delighted you are to have this person in your home, how overjoyed you are to have this person in your home. It was an extravagant act of hospitality. One time Jesus was dining at the home of a Pharisee. He was witnessing to them, sharing. He wanted to show them the love of, of God. And, and yet this sinful woman comes in and she's crying. And, and she starts to, to anoint his, his feet and, and his body with oil. And Jesus says, this is an extravagant act of love and gratitude. And Jesus honors her for her devotion. Notice it says, God himself anoints your head with oil. 
Often the host would say, he would bring the servants and say, bring the oil, anoint my guests. But this is God as the host saying, no, I anoint you because you're not just my guests. You're my sons and daughters. You're my, you're my family. I want to show you, I delight in you. You bring me joy. Do you believe that today? That the Lord is not looking at you burrowed frow, arms crossed, shaking his finger. He looks at you as a shepherd looks at a sheep. Love, compassion, grace. We're family. I've made you my own. David says, my cup overflows. Your cup signifies the totality of your circumstances in life. In other words, even in the midst of worry and fear, and even in the midst of your enemies, David says, he looked at his life and said, and said oh, I can see God's generous and graciousness toward me. In the midst of all the craziness and the evil in our world, in our, in our nation, in our community, maybe even in your, in your sphere of influence, in the midst of all of that, can you, do you have the ability to still see God's grace in your life to be able to say, even in the midst of my enemies, I see and I know that God has, has made my cup overflow. David knew that if the Lord gave him what he deserved, his cup would be filled with judgment, wrath, and condemnation. Instead, God took the cup that David deserved and poured in what he didn't deserve. Goodness, mercy, assurance of love, intimacy, hope, peace. Do you look at life this way? Or do you only see the things that are wrong? Do you only see the things that, that have, have fallen apart, the things that have gone bad? There could be a, a hundred things good going on, but you can see that one thing that's wrong and you point it out. Or can you say in the midst of, of all the, the stuff going on, the Lord has prepared a table. He has welcomed me. I see his goodness even in the craziness of life. Yes, there are wounds in the dark valley, but can you say because of Christ, my, my cup overflows? I love how David ends this psalm. After being led from green pastures and, and, and still waters, waters of rest, and, that, and then through the dark valley, now into the banquet hall of God, David is confident that God's goodness and mercy will follow him all the days of his life. The word follow is a rich word. I love this word. It doesn't mean that God's mercy and goodness and mercy will follow me, but never really catch up to me. Right? It'll follow me. It'll be right behind me, but never really get to me. That's sometimes how we think, oh yeah, his goodness was kind of real close, but I never really experienced it. No, your, mercy, your goodness and mercy shall follow. It's the word pursue. David had many pursuers in life that sought him, didn't they? To do him harm. But only one chased him as persistently and as effectively as the Lord himself. He's saying God's goodness and his mercy. That's the word mercy. Chesed, that's the Hebrew word. We've talked about it before. It means God's covenant faithfulness, his loyal love, that his goodness, his very, his very, his very being of good and his love that will never let me go, it will literally pursue me all the days of my life. 
whether you're experiencing the comfort of the green pastures or the darkness of the valley, you can never get away from God's goodness and his loving kindness. They will pursue you every single day of your life. You see, when the Lord embraces you as his friend, he'll never change his mind about you. Jim Stevenson read earlier, no greater love has anyone than this, that a a man lay down his life for his friends. That's what God has done for you. He will never change his mind. He will never turn back. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And then David ends, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is meant to evoke a deep sense of hope in life and in death. You see, God doesn't just have the power to lead us through the death valley. He has the power to lead us into eternal life. That's what he's saying. David says, I find great joy that I will dwell in God's house. I will live in God's presence. What? All the days of my life. And I will dwell in his house forever. How is that possible? How can we live with God forever? Where does he get that kind of confidence from? According to the Bible, there's only one way. And that is to admit your need for God as your shepherd and invite him to lead your life. Hundreds of years later, Jesus stood up in front of a crowd, people just like us, struggles like us, temptations like us, trials like us, and he came for those very people, people like us, and he stood up and he said these words in John 10, I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for my sheep. You see, God knew that in order to be the shepherd that this psalm is describing so vividly, he would have to come to earth and show us what kind of shepherd he really is. And so God came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. And because Jesus was God, he could obey all of God's commands. He could live the perfect life, the life you and I should have lived but couldn't because of our sin. And yet what happened to Jesus after living the perfect life? He ends up on a cross. The greatest of tragedies. But in order for Jesus to be the good shepherd that he said he was, he had to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You see, God doesn't ask us to do anything that he himself is not willing to do. And yet on the cross, Jesus did something that no other person could do. He took our punishment for sin. He took our condemnation. He took our rejection, all of our shame, all of our guilt. He died so that we could have life. He did it because he loved us. He was the good shepherd. He saw his sheep in danger. And instead of allowing the sheep to walk off, run off the cliff, he runs and he moves the sheep out of the way. And instead, he falls off the cliff himself. His death shows us there is nothing we could do to earn our way back to God. We needed someone to take our place. Look, we're all lost sheep. Not just the one. It's not like 99 of us are good and it's one of us. 1% of us is kind of messed up. No, we act like we can be our own shepherd. We go our own way, starting as a kid and into teenage years and then into adult. It doesn't matter who you are. You're probably doing something or not doing something that you know was wrong. You have mindsets that are inappropriate. You have thoughts that are unhealthy. You have actions that you're doing. Some of us are covering things up because we think this thing is so, so important, but other people around me, uh, they're they're not going to like it. I know it's wrong. It's because everything we do as we wander away leads to disaster. 
And I think deep down all of us know this. And this is what sets Christianity apart from any other religion. Look, some of you high schoolers are going to go off to college and they're going to, they're going to bash Christianity and bash the Bible. Listen, here, let me just tell you this. This is the one thing that sets Christianity apart from any other religion. Every other religion says, if you're good enough in life and you do good, God may accept you. Even the religion of atheism that says, you, just, you don't believe in God, you just do your own thing. It's still, you be who you need to be and if you're good enough, you'll be happy, you'll be content. Christianity is the only faith that says, no, you can't live a good enough life. You'll never be able to self-actualize and find true happiness. But there is one who did it for you. There is one who loved you enough, and it was God. He did it on your behalf. Christianity teaches that through faith in Jesus, you could be completely forgiven and completely accepted by the God who created you and loves you. You see, the death of Jesus shows us that the only sacrifice that can take away sin was the sacrifice of the good shepherd himself. The shepherd had to die for his sheep. Jesus went through the ultimate death valley so that you would never have to. And the good news is that Jesus didn't stay dead. Jesus rose from the dead to prove not only can he take away sin, he can actually reverse the curse of sin and death and give you the gift of eternal life. And right now, you can have eternal life if you turn from your sin, turn from whatever you've been looking to to find satisfaction and, and meaning in life, and you turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, I trust you as my Savior. I trust you died and rose for me. I want to follow you. He, can, he will then say to you, you will dwell in the Lord's house forever. Apart from him is destruction and, yes, eternal death. The darkness of the valley of the shadow of death will not end for those who reject him because God will give us whatever we want. If we say we reject him, then he'll say, okay, this is what you want, an eternity without me, that is what you get. But his love says, come to me, turn. Now you can have everything, everything as a gift received, not achieved. Do you need to receive him today? Hasn't he proven himself faithful as a shepherd? And Christian, we can follow and trust the good shepherd no matter where he leads us because he provides, he protects, he delights in us. And we can have confidence that one day, no matter when that day is, that when we see him face to face, David says in Psalm 16, in the Lord's presence is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. God himself is the final destination. He is our eternal home. So today, reach out and grab his hand and experience the safety and security of following the good shepherd. Let's pray. Father, we need you. We admit that. We all come with a collection of experiences, of, of wounds, of joys. But here we are, Lord, all your sheep, all loved by you. But we need help. We need your help. We need your strength because we are weak. We need your wisdom because we struggle with our own foolishness. We need your courage because we are overwhelmed by the fears around us. 
We need your provision because we're tired of feeling like we have to do it all ourselves and we fail at doing it. Lord, what we're saying today is we do need a good shepherd. For those who don't know you, maybe some have been resistant. Some are just here listening and they want to walk away not having been changed by it. But Father, I pray that your word would, would, would wrestle them down, would do whatever it takes so that they reveal their, their inadequacy apart from you and then the joy of being welcomed home by you. For those of us who are just needing some glimmer of hope so that we can wake up tomorrow and keep going, God, would you... Would you wrap your arms around that person in some, in some unique way, by your spirit, help them to know this is not just head knowledge, but that, that this become experiential, that you are their good shepherd. Use the body of Christ. Use your, your living and active word of God. Use Jesus himself speaking into their hearts. God, bring Bring to bear everything that is true so that we can say, maybe even though we are wounded, maybe even a limp for the rest of our lives, maybe some like me who will live the rest of their lives fatherless, that we might know and follow and trust and find our rest in a good shepherd. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.